Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for sticking around. I hope you didn't mind. Anyway, here we go. Marilyn's Diary, A Long Journey Home. Episode 4. again. Marilyn, in case you forgot. After the memory planet, we traveled through another three ports. They weren't that interesting, unfortunately. They were all Atomnicon-settled planets. All had the same architecture, the same branding, even the same music. That's music, but for people who don't like music, I think. <sighs> if this is what it's going to be like everywhere, it feels pointless writing about it. Well, people do still live their lives there. You can't really experience a planet in a day or two. We were just passing through. What did I miss? Well, on Sirius 9 Alpha, for example, there is a thriving mechanoid subculture. It's hard to get into. You need to build up years of trust. But under the surface, there's an entire culture built on roboticization. Oh, I'm sad I missed that. Uh, we wouldn't have been allowed in. But it's good to remember that the way a planet is built is not the be-all and end-all. It's the people that make it what it is. You're right. I need to remember that. Well, this should be an interesting planet for you to visit, Marilyn. Why? It describes itself as a historically accurate pre-solar flare Earth. Oh, really? They settled here about a century ago. It's the brainchild of an early Earth enthusiast. Hmm. Allegedly, they've built period-accurate houses, they wear period-accurate clothes, and they eat period-accurate food. What? Really? Where do they get it all from? Well, I'd assume a lot of it isn't precisely period accurate. A lot of plant and animal species have gone extinct. But it's an attempt at it. It'll be interesting to see what my other homeworld would have looked like. I'll tell you all about it tonight, diary. before. I'm not entirely sure how authentically Earth-like it is, either. Well, it was an interesting experience. We were directed to land on a vast gray concourse, tall concrete buildings piled up around it. We were led from our ship to a series of fast-moving walkways, which took us round in circles until we reached what they called a customs. We were directed to the back of a room. In front of us, Moving platforms only big enough to take one person at a time crawled along towards a massive gateway. In between the platforms, inflatable figures popped up, 
moving along slowly, waiting for their turn to go through a gate. They traveled in a big circle, making their way through the gate, deflating, and rotating to the back of the room only to be inflated again, ready to start their journey. I found out later that this was an authentic earth queuing experience. When we reached the front of the queue, we were briefly examined by a small man in a blue uniform, who then offered us a stamp. <laughs> it's still on the back of my hand. <laughs> uh, I assume the ink will fade eventually. We were then ushered through to a waiting area. There, we met the first of our guides. There are two different factions operating on this planet. There was a massive civil war about 50 years ago, I believe triggered by something to do with a flag. So I arranged for us to meet representatives of both. There was a small man with a wide smile waiting for us, holding a large sign that said, Marilyn and computer. <laughs> both, um, slightly misspelt. As is the custom. He had a tall, puffy hat and an apron with some writing on. Chris the Cook. But his name wasn't Chris. <laughs> so I don't really understand why... Presumably some sort of Earth reference. This was Eldritch, and he was going to be our guide. I noticed him exchanging hostile glances with a woman in a bright, feathered costume. I believe she may be the guide for tomorrow. He took us outside to a wide concrete road. There, waiting for us, was his vehicle. A kind of bicycle with a cart strapped to the back. It was covered in an alarming range of lights. It was a tuk-tuk, a traditional mode of transport in the old world. I'm quite glad it wasn't a long journey. I could feel it shaking my transistors loose. We traveled, slowly, towards a stack of gray buildings, all awkward ridges and sharp angles. The inside was hollowed out, almost like a kind of... Nest. At the very center was a lift, although it appeared to be very broken. Almost demonstrably broken. There was definitely a smoke machine and lighting making it look more broken than it was. Beside it was a series of long ladders through which the different levels of the nest could be accessed. Apparently, the broken lift was part of their drive for accuracy. Their desire to represent the grim reality of the lives of Earth dwellers before the solar flares. The walls were ridged, as if they'd started with a solid block of concrete and then burrowed into it, like insects. Although, I think Gontana's traditional hives are far more elegant and well-designed. The humans lived in small groups on different layers of the burrow. They deliberately made the burrows slightly too small for their occupants to accurately reflect the uncomfortable closeness of 20th century living. Allegedly. Eldritch implied that it was against some kind of protocol to speak to the humans of other levels. Hmm. He didn't explain why. We could hear their voices as they went about their days, but we weren't even supposed to acknowledge their existence. We climbed until we reached the seventh floor, Eldritch's home. The level was divided into five smaller burrows, each housing a group of five or six. Eldritch was, it turned out, the cook for his lair. He was very proud of his expertise in Earth-style cuisine. He'd studied Earth cooking at university and now spends his life cooking authentic Earth meals. The meals he made were strange. They looked beautiful, if monochrome, but tasted like mm, nothing. Literally nothing. It was hard to convince myself that I was eating, even when I had the food in my mouth. It was difficult to swallow, if only because I kept forgetting it was there. <laughs> Apparently, their lack of taste was something he was extremely proud of. 20th century food was beautiful, but completely tasteless, according to his studies. 
and they were served with great ceremony on a hollowed-out plastic tray covered with a transparent plastic sheet, which he explained he'd bought at great expense from a trader in Earth Goods. I think maybe authentic doesn't always mean good. I would have to agree. After we ate, and I had to keep reminding myself that we'd eaten, as the lack of flavor had somehow tricked my brain into thinking we'd missed a meal, he took us to the top of the block, where we looked out over a beautiful horizon. Eldritch told us of his plans to build a more authentic atmosphere, hiring smog generators to block out the light and damp generators to spray the block with cold, uncomfortable rain. For the authenticity. In the distance was a blur of light, pink and turquoise shining up a haze on the horizon. He glared at it. Another reason for the smog generators. The so-called other encampment. They weren't nearly as accurate in their setting, having built a more romanticized version of history. Eldritch's was more worthy, as it was more gritty and realistic. We turned down his offer of staying the night, even though the beds were authentically uncomfortable. <laughs> we went back to the ship, thankfully bypassing the inflatable queuing area. I was glad we still had some of the fruits. My stomach was making so many noises despite being technically full. It was all very strange. Tomorrow, we're going to see what the other camp does. You have guilty pleasures. Mine's looking at pictures of animals gambling. They just look so funny. Dogs playing poker? How did they even know the rules? It's hilarious. I've also seen a picture of a duck who was playing croquet and pigs playing past the pigs. But I sometimes worry that maybe the animals might get in over their head and dead. Or, or maybe they didn't give their permission for the pictures to be put online. And now I start to worry, but I did find a foolproof way around it. I'll tell you after this ad from our sponsors. I love you. Have you ever considered life as an automaton repair person? Want to test your abilities in a battle of life and death? Or at least bureaucracy? Download Automna Jobs, small jobs for unimportant people today. Automna Jobs is a three-page We Fix Space Junk RPG available on Gumroad. Find the link in the show notes or visit battlebird.productions for more details. Show your loyalty to Automnicon. Buy merchandise from our tea Public store. Find the link in the show notes or at battlebird.productions. And maybe, just maybe, you will be spared. Hello. So yeah, I found out gambling with an O um, means jumping around. Lambs gambling. It's much more fun to watch. Uh, I recommend you check it out, as well as our sponsor. Bye! Hello, 
diary? We've just arrived back from settlement two. It was very... different from the first settlement. Yes, I would definitely call that different. We left the ship early in the morning, hoping to get through the inflatable queues quickly and start the tour. They were crawling as slowly as ever. But seeing as we were the only ones there, we thought perhaps if we climbed over a few of them, we could get to the platforms near the front. It was a good plan. In concept. Sometimes, I forget I have a stinger. Hopefully they should be able to patch them up. We did get nearer to the front of the queue, though. The woman in yellow feathers met us in the airport. She was carrying a big flashing sign with our names. They were misspelt again, but misspelt differently. As is the custom. Instead of a tuk-tuk, she drove a scooter and offered us a ride on the back. It felt quite precarious, but at least it was less of a bumpy ride. We rode across a vast, sandy landscape towards what turned out to be a castle, pointed up into the sky and festooned with lights. She drove through a double set of golden arches and into the city. The inside of the city was strange. None of the houses were alike. And rather than the standard gray jogging bottoms the other tribe had worn, people wore a confusing mishmash of costumes. A man in a full lycra bodysuit, a fluorescent ruff at his neck, said, Good morrow, in a sing-song voice to us, bowing deeply. On the other side of the road, a woman in a massive glitter ball dress and matching headdress was pushing a shopping trolley. Our guide, Cassandra, had lived in the city for five years now. She'd been born and grown up in the other settlement, in the gray concrete hive, but had gravitated towards this one as she grew older. Like a moth to a flame. And where everything seemed kind of grim and uniform there, everything here was bright and sparkling and too much. A bit of sensory overload, yes. It made my eyes hurt. And the food, it was... Ultra fusion, I think they called it. A mixture of every food ever referred to in Earth literature. Blended. Yes, that was definitely a bold choice. Cassandra hadn't been back to her old settlement since she left. She thought they were celebrating everything that was bad about Earth. They also thought that rather than embracing the 20th century, they were actually celebrating the solar flare and the destruction it wrought on the world. I asked them more about the solar flare. I've tried to read about it, but there isn't much publicly available, given the time at which it happened. Cassandra painted me a picture of Earth pre-flare. A bright, shining utopia where anyone could be anything they wanted to be. And then, when the solar flare came, all was lost and humanity descended to where it is now. I didn't think it was worth asking her questions about Earth after that. We went across more of the glittering, gaudy landscape. I asked questions here and there, but mostly Cassandra didn't know anything. They'd constructed their part of Earth too from snipped pictures and vague ideas. A postcard of history with no writing on the back. A glorious spectacle, signifying nothing. So, do you think one of them was right? Well, what do you mean by right? Is there a right way to portray Earth? I don't think you could say that there's a right way to portray a cluster of disparate land masses with billions of individuals on it. There wasn't one unifying culture, and there wasn't one unifying grimness underneath it all even after the solar flares. Even Gontanans have a broad range of cultures, despite the fact that we live in one kingdom. Really? Yes. Gontano only has one landmass, but it's gigantic. It spans across half the planet, meaning that we live in all kinds of areas. 
Gontanids in the far north and south build underground cities to save them from the cold, and they rarely fly. Further towards the middle, we're a little more spread out and the cities are smaller and less crowded. All of them have different customs and traditions, and even different family structures. Interesting. I am looking forward to exploring Gontana. There is so much that's undocumented by the wider universe. I only hope I'm doing the right thing by going back. episode of Marilyn's Diary, A Long Journey Home, a We Fix Space Junk miniseries. Marilyn was played by Francesca Mintovchish, and Computer was played by James Carney. The program was written by Beth Crane and produced by Headley Knights for Battlebird Productions. We'd like to say a special thanks to Terry G for their support on Patreon. We use the donations we receive from Patreon, Coffee, and PayPal to pay our actors, pay ourselves, and run the show. We are so, so grateful for all that you do for us. If you want to support We Fix Space Junk, visit battlebird.productions or see the show notes. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Greetings. I am the modestly handsome obituary writer of this fetching town of Crestfall, Idaho. And this is Death by Dying. Death is exhausting. And so, after a long day of funeral attending, I had retired to my apartment to get some shut-eye. I loosened my Versace tie and changed into my Egyptian silk pajamas. Are you the detective in town? No, I'm the obituary writer. Really? Someone said you solve murder cases. Murder? I'm Charlotte, by the way. Forgive me, but I haven't gotten past the murder part. Charlotte, the friend I now have, is staying in the apartment above her Aunt Lillian's bookshop. She was my aunt. She was all I had growing up. I need to know why she's gone. Murder is the spice of life. I knew just who I had to see. The Angel of Death. We have become friends over the years. Careful. Death is ever-present. Her pet, the button-eyed raven, moaned inconsolably as usual. Your friends are abandoning you, one by one. You write about death, O.W. But how much do you know about what it feels like to lose someone? The shadow in the dark woods is making its way into Crestfall. Listen to Death by Dying on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher.